Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey folks, this is Kevin. Just a few words before we start. Well, if you don't already know, we are now a part of the most phenomenal of all podcasting networks, and you can find it at MaximumFun.org. We are now in the podcasting family with such remarkable shows as Bullseye, Jordan Jesse Go, Stop Podcasting Yourself, The Memory Palace, Judge John Hodgman, just fantastic content, smart funny entertainment with heart and soul, really beautifully produced. We're with the cream of the crop and we couldn't be prouder. If you don't already know, the whole thing, Maximum Fun, is headed by one of the pioneers, one of the most important people in the history of podcasting, the brilliant Mr. Jesse Thorne. And if you visit MaximumFun.org, you're going to find they have a fantastic blog. Great stuff every single day. Plus this very vibrant fan forum where you can talk on a regular basis to people like me and the other creators of the content there. But there's one day in particular I need you to remember to keep in mind. It is Monday, October 15th. That is Max Fun Day. There's so much happening on that day. I'm going to be doing a Google Hangout on Google+, Plus, where you can see me and talk to me. We're going to be tweeting, giving giveaways on Twitter. The deal is, this is the new way that you can support Risk and help keep us going. Because on Max Fun Day, the goal of MaximumFun.org is to get 1,000 new monthly members at $10 per month or $20 per month for a membership. And if you get one of those memberships, you will have access to bonus content from all the Max Fun shows. And that includes the all-star episodes of Risk that you would normally have to pay for. Here is how you can support us in our new home and support all of this wonderful content, this stuff that you're just not going to get from the big corporate entertainment industry. And there's even more, and that is that, that part of the proceeds that are raised here are going to be going to help feed the homeless. Max Fun Day on October 15th is just going to be a ton of fun and a way to be a part of something that's really meaningful, that's really important. So, on Monday, October 15th, go to MaximumFun.org and help keep risk running. Now here's the show.
kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Jaw Prawn behind me now. Listen, folks, this is the first episode of our fourth season, our fourth year of putting the podcast out there. And I think I heard a statistic sometime that something like 90% of startups fail before their fourth year. So we're hanging in there. Am I right? Put that in your pipe, Mr. Green Jeans. Remember Mr. Green Jeans from um, the Captain Kangaroo show? And did you know that Mr. Green Jeans' real name was (laughs) Lumpy Branham? (laughs) No. Why do you think you have to silly it up by calling yourself Mr. Green Jeans when your real name is motherfucking Lumpy Branham? (laughs) And even more importantly, why the fuck am I talking about that at the top of today's show? Okay, today's show we're calling Here Comes Trouble. Stories where people, uh, you know, messed around in places they shouldn't have been messing around, if you know what I mean, Mr. Green Jeans. (laughs) And we're going to start... With the fantastic stand-up comedian, Mr. David Balutansky. You can find him on Twitter, at Balutansky. Here he is at the Risk Live show in New York with a story whose title is inspired by another children's show from the 70s. We call this one, The People in Your Neighborhood. I was one of those guys that hit puberty around 15, which sucks because I, I went to an all-boys Catholic school and we had to like shower in gym class. And, you know, when you're 14 and you're showering next to a guy who hit puberty at age 12 and he has chest hair and you have a, like a walnut-sized penis, it's absolutely horrible. But I did hit puberty in, in Louisville, Kentucky in around 85. Yeah. Let me backtrack and talk a little bit about Louisville and growing up there. My parents are from the East Coast, but my dad got a job when I was in kindergarten and moved us there. And all I can say is it was just so boring, so normal, so regular, and so plain. The subdivision we lived in was called Plain View. (laughs) So in Plain View, we're there, and the neighborhood, it's just, everyone's just trying to be, I guess, live out the normal American dream 1980s life just i can see the kennys the boulets the curses the Thiels, just everybody dad worked mom stayed at home in the summer we would ride our bmx bikes to like tcby and like arby's like that was the day and like maybe play racquetball at the y and i remember being so hungry for something to change or something to be different and one, di- one time, Reagan was on TV, and I was yelling at the TV, like, I wanted him to, like, start a war or something. I was like, Dad, things are so boring. And he was like, that's a good thing, Dave. We want things to be boring. I remember him saying that. We want peace, stability, normalcy. So I would listen to a lot of metal, like that was an outlet. But then I hit puberty, and I started to have a sexual awakening. But no one in my neighborhood... Let's, let's, let's just say the dads were all boring. Because, you know, as teenage boys, you, you guys know the dads that had the Playboys and stuff in the penthouses. And you're, you're, I mean, it's not like now where these kids can get on the internet and pretty much see anything they want. Porn was like gold for us back then. I mean, some kid would like open his Velcro wallet and have a little, you know, wrinkled picture of a nude lady. And it was like 15 guys would be standing around trying to see it. <sighs> gold. So this kid, Brad, moved in, and his name was Brad Garvin, and his dad was the porn dad. (laughs) The kind of dad that kept Playboys out on the coffee table, you know? Yeah, a bunch of them, too, spread out. Married, you know, had a wife, had a daughter, but loved his Playboys. Brad's dad uh, also had Playboy Channel, which we could like decode and break into with a butter knife in the cable box. (laughs) So we'd have sleepovers and we'd watch Playboy Channel. 
And then I discovered uh, penthouse forum letters. And this blew my mind because, you know, looking at pictures, fine, watching Playboy Channel, fine, but these were stories, and I was like, holy shit, these are amazing. (laughs) Now, there's one problem. I printed out a penthouse forum letter, and I was going to bring it here, and I lost it on the way here because I wanted to read an example of one. But my wife and I were walking around town, went to Starbucks, went to ABC Home and Carpet, somewhere around there. (laughs) We went for sushi. Somewhere this penthouse forum letter is at one of those places. So somebody's gonna find an awesome penthouse forum letter with my scribbling in the margins. Yeah. (laughs) The story was about a couple named Doug and Linda and uh, they wanted to spice up their marriage they picked up a girl at a bar brought her back to the hot tub if you don't know the penthouse form letters they all start out with you know I never thought something like this would ever happen to me I've been reading your magazine for years but finally it did (laughs) they pick up another girl they bang her in their hot tub there's a lot of mentioning of throbbing That's, that's a huge thing in penthouse forms there's always creamy thighs throbbing you know of course the minute Doug puts his penis inside this woman she comes that's another big one that's how you know these things were written by men women are constantly and quickly coming boom so I I love these penthouse forums but the problem is they were at Brad's house so I couldn't have access to them like I wanted so I started to write my own penthouse letters I got a yellow legal pad, and I would do it in cursive, and I wrote out all these awesome stories. And then I would masturbate to my own stories. (laughs) I mean, seriously. (laughs) Truly masturbatory writing. (laughs) And you know, if I got bored with one, I would, you know, or if I got tired of them, I would rewrite a new one. So I had all these great stories. I would jerk off to them. <laughs> One day, I came home from school, and my dad was uh, home. I saw his car in the driveway. And I walked into the kitchen, and my parents were sitting there, and I thought it was odd that my dad was home, you know, around 3.30. And as I rounded the corner, I saw the yellow legal pad on the kitchen table, all wrinkled and shit, you know? <laughs> And I just stood still, and they were both looking at me. My dad motioned me to come in and sit down, and they were like, what are these? And first of all, I was really pissed off, because my mom is a snooper. (laughs) She would find anything, and she did. And I was just like, oh, I was mad about that invasion of my privacy. But I hid it under my bed. Like, what an idiot, you know? Could have come up with something better. But they seemed to be kind of... um, white and visibly shaken and I was totally mortified now there's a twist here that I need to tell you about though because in my stories the people in my stories were the people in my neighborhood (laughs) so all of these people on Livingston Gilbert Court were getting fucked Across the street, Tom and Linda Black. One story, I tie Tom up and make him watch me fuck Linda. (laughs) There's girl-on-girl action in there. (laughs) Neighbors hooking up. My mom told me, and she's not religious, but she pulled out, that's not right, that's not God's plan. Men and women are not supposed to, or men and women are only supposed to be together. And I was just looking at her like. <laughs> no, I didn't. That, I didn't. I was, I was scared. And, and they, there was talk of sending me to a shrink. My dad brought that up because he didn't know how to handle it. He, 
came from a working class background, not a very touchy-feely guy, and not a good a motor, and I think he, he, he just didn't know what to do. He almost wanted to just ship me off and let somebody else handle it. So, but in, in my fear to deflect this and deflect some of it away from me, I said, I got these ideas from Penthouse Forum. Like, I didn't come up with this sick shit myself. <laughs> Most of this is from Penthouse. So now I'm a plagiarizer, which sucks, but... So my dad says, prove it. He wants to see these. So I have to get on my bike. And I ride all the way to Brad's house. And I tell Brad what happened, and I need the penthouse forums. So he has to go sneak them out of his dad's closet, because he didn't keep the penthouses out, only the Playboys. And I brought the penthouse forums back to my house and sat at the kitchen table, my mom had left, and my dad and I sat there with the yellow legal pad and these penthouse forums. And I kind of went through the forums and said like, yeah, that one, that's, that's one I kind of used and got inspiration from. And then he'd read it. I mean, I'd set, I'm sitting there in silence as my dad is reading a penthouse form letter in front of me. And I'm like, I know what he's trying to do, but I was wondering in my little brain, like, can he uh, read this clinically or is he getting turned on right now by this? I was wondering that. Like, I was thinking, how can he just read this without being like, yeah, this is pretty good. <laughs> but he, he kept pretty, pretty stoic during the whole time. And then he, um, he closed the final penthouse and said, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. And that was kind of it. And I went upstairs into my room and I built a little shame cave in my closet. <laughs> Had a sleeping bag and like a clock radio and a little lamp. And I went in there and I think I laid in there for like seven hours, just mortified. And uh, my dad came up like seven or eight hours later and just kind of opened the door and he just motioned for me to come out. Like, and that was it. It's never been spoken of <laughs> again. But we continued to live in that neighborhood, on that street, for years. July 4th and block parties and barbecues and just hanging out with the neighbors. And I was always looking at my parents and thinking, what are they thinking, what I'm thinking, when we're hanging out with all these neighbors? Like, and the truth is, I was thinking about fucking them. Take my dick out of your mouth? Yeah. Here. Yeah. yeah. When I was 16, I kind of fancied myself one of the boys, and I had a lot of guy friends. And I was very naive at that point because I thought that they saw me the same way that I saw myself, just one of the guys. And I was under that impression until they started asking me on dates individually. And because I was a nice girl from the Midwest, I didn't have the language to say no. We don't really get taught that, right? And so Brad, one day, Brad invited me out. Brad and I hung out all the time, usually in a group. We were all kind of the quirky outsiders, all kind of weird in our own way. And he was a big guy, very awkward, but very kind of sweet, lovable, oafish kind of qualities about him. And I remember one night we had gone to the movies all as a group, and he offered to drive me home because he lived, I had lived on the way back to his house. And on the way home, we were listening to the Bare Naked Ladies, uh, very popular when we were in high school. There was a song that I really liked, I think it was Nutshell, right? And it was a fun song, and we would sing along to it in the car and having a great time. And then immediately after that song on the album is a song called, I think, The Wrong Man. 
And as that song starts playing, I feel the energy of the car shift. We're not just friends singing along to a silly song anymore. Now we're listening to the lyrics of this sad song about a guy who didn't ask the girl that he loved to be with him. And so she ended up with some other guy. And as I heard this song play, I knew he was going to ask me on a date or something romantic. So he asked me out during that song in the driveway of my house. And I tried to get out of the car before he did, but he did. And so I had to answer and I didn't know how to say no. And so I said yes instead. And immediately it was a terrible date, right? Because it was the kind of date where one of us didn't want to be there and we both knew it, right? And then we ended up at the local park with some ice cream. And the ice cream was almost finished and the park was closing. And so I felt really fortunate that the date was going to be over. And I immediately started thinking about all the things I was going to do to like cleanse myself of this totally awkward date. Uh, So we get in the car and I know he has no more plans. And so he's going to take me home. Immediately out of the parking lot comes this pickup truck, swerves right out behind us and starts riding our ass. And so Brad kind of just, you know, taps on the brakes a little bit and the dude doesn't slow down. He is up, up on our ass and he starts yelling and Brad kind of touches the brakes again. And when he touches the brakes, I can see that the the brake lights illuminate the cab of the truck behind us and this guy is holding a big bottle of liquor. The dude in the pickup truck was kind of a classic Ohio redneck. Right, He had the, the trucker cap, kind of scruffy looking, very skinny, wiry, wearing the white tank top. I kind of thought that maybe Brad did something to piss him off right when the dude whipped out behind us. But I also think that maybe he just wanted to go faster, right? And because Brad was going the speed limit like a good 16-year-old boy who just got his license, uh, the dude just had a grudge. And he was screaming nasty things, things that he wanted to do to us, and just horrible words. I think he just was looking for trouble. And he found two 16-year-old kids to fuck with. Brad kind of is trying to stay calm, right? Not speeding or anything. And then he turns into our neighborhood, which is just a series of cul-de-sacs, and the dude follows. And I'm like, don't take me home. I don't want this guy knowing where I live. And so he doesn't turn down my street. And instead, I'm like, let's go to the police station, right? And he says, no, I have a better idea. So instead of turning to go downtown, he turns to go towards the outskirts of town. And I have no idea what he's doing but i'm nervous and the dude is following us the entire time screaming flashing his brights honking his horn just being terrifying brad driving nice and slow not trying to piss him off any more than he already is and then i realize where we're going we had some friends who lived on the outskirts of town um our friend adam and he was kind of a quirky outsider one of those guys who you know, just, he was one of those high school boys that like carried a violin case and wore a trench coat to school, right? Just kind of a strange kid, long black hair. He had a beard at 16, right? He was a Scotsman and his whole family, a big family, uh, very strange, awesome family, lived on the outskirts of town in one of those houses that was never really finished. It was like two by fours would always be building extensions on the house with tarps and They had two big Great Danes that were alpha dogs. I mean, just strange. And they wore kilts all the time. So we get there after a long, difficult drive. And we pull into, they had one of those U-shaped driveways. So we pull into the driveway and the dude pulls right out front off the street. And he has gotten out of his car and he's walking towards us. And the house is dark. There's not a light on in the Henderson house, except for in the garage. There's a single light bulb. And Mr. Henderson, their dad, is standing in a work kilt and a wife beater and he's blacksmithing he is hammering a sword and this guy he reminds me of like Gimli from Lord of the Rings he's I've never understood the term barrel chested until I met this guy right he is small and stout and strong he's just looks like he was built to run the highlands right so he's blacksmithing and he doesn't notice us and we get out of the car and we start like kind of waving him down And Mr. Henderson, Mr. Henderson, and he puts down the hammer, 
puts down the sword and he looks up at us. He walks past us to the Astro minivan in the driveway, opens the back of the minivan and pulls out a shotgun that apparently he keeps in the back of a minivan. (laughs) And he takes two steps towards the dude, cocks it once, and the dude literally yelps, runs into his truck and peels off so fast you can smell rubber in the air. And then once the guy's gone, Mr. Henderson uncocks the shotgun, puts it back in the minivan, closes the trunk, and wordlessly walks back to his blacksmithing station, picks up his hammer, and just goes right back to work. And I say, thanks, Mr. Henderson. Brad says, thanks, Mr. Henderson. And we get into the car, and we take the drive home. And the whole time we are so jacked up on adrenaline right now, we are right back to the whole, like, silly friendship thing that we always used to have before this awkward date happened. We are just laughing our asses off and just reliving every moment of that weird experience. And we're friends again. We're not on this awkward date. We're not trying to be grown-ups anymore. We are back to what we used to be. And I feel comfortable now. And now we're having a great time. And we get into the driveway of my house and the little motion sensor light goes on. And I used to hate that thing, right? Because when I was on dates with people I did like, it would go on and would signal to my parents that I was home and making out in the driveway. But this time it came on and I'm like, oh God, thank God. My parents know I'm home. My dad's going to come out here and rescue me. But we ended up just talking in the driveway and laughing and having a great time. The date became wonderful after that really scary experience. So, you know, we chatted and then said goodnight and he said, hey, do you want to go out again? And I said, no, no, I don't. But thank you. I'll see you at school on Monday. is risk this is diagrams behind me now with a song called black light or black lights i don't know black light i just fact checked it by by looking down and before that we heard from our good friend allison moon with a story we call highlander because you know that guy was scottish And before that, we heard uh, a little interstitial by Jeff Barr that we call Eating Muppets. Maybe you get that. Maybe you don't. At this point, it's in God's hands. Now, I I was having a conversation with a Risk fan uh, earlier today who had taken advantage of our Stamps.com deal. And we were talking about how if you want to go to the post office... Look, you're going to have a lot of what-ifs to deal with. You know, what if uh, there's traffic? What if you can't find parking? Uh, What if it's closed? What if everyone else had the same idea that day? Stamps.com, you don't need to go to the post office. You buy and you print official U.S. postage with your computer and your printer. You get exact postage for any letter or package, whatever. 
And the way it works is simple. You you use our promo code, R-I-S-K, for this special offer. It's a no-risk trial. I know that is peculiar. It's like the same word used in a different way. But there's also this $110 bonus offer where you get a digital scale to weigh your letters and packages and whatnot and up to $55 free postage. So just don't wait. Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in risk. That's stamps.com and enter R-I-S-K. Our next story comes to us from the brilliant Mr. Steve Heisler. You can find him at steveheisler.com. He is one of the co-hosts of the show The Jukebox in Brooklyn, a show that mixes storytelling with karaoke. Sure. Here he is now with a story we call The White Horse. So when I was nine years old, I was living in a suburb of Chicago and I felt completely out of control. Uh, I had a younger brother who was three years younger than I was and I fought with him constantly. And I had an even younger sister who was seven years younger than I was, so she was still pretty much a baby. And my mom showered her with attention. And so in my mind, I was not getting anything that I needed and I felt completely lost and I would take it out on my brother to the point in which my mom completely lost her shit and had to institute things like regimented dinner times. We would both be in our room and my brother would come down and have like a six o'clock seating and then he would go back to his room at 6.30 and I would come down and have a 6.30 seating. And uh, the last thing that she tried was that she sent us all to therapy. And I hated therapy because to me, I was a smart kid even at nine and I think I just saw right through it. I just thought it was bullshit. What happens when you're nine years old and you don't actually want to talk to the therapist is that he makes you play games. And one of the things that he had was a whole big set of Legos. And I was a huge Lego junkie at the time. I had so many Legos. And one day, the therapist was talking about something, and I just had this impulse to take one of the pieces and put it in my pocket. And I did. And I had these like giant MC Hammer pants So they were like neon and they were big and puffy and they could fit so many Legos inside of them. But I just took this one piece and two things happened simultaneously. The first was this feeling that just started in my chest and went out into my fingertips and eventually made its way up to my brain. And my brain was just firing off all these scenarios that had no basis in reality as to how terrible my life was going to become now that I was somebody who stole something. The world was going to end Uh, I would never be able to achieve true happiness or find true love. I would never be able to play Nintendo ever again. And the other feeling, though, was just this sense of complete relief. I remember thinking to myself, wow, I actually did take that piece. I can do something for myself. I can have this control that I've always wanted. And I left the therapist's office, and I had my hand in my pocket because I wanted to make sure that this piece was still there. And my mom said to me, why is your hand in your pocket? And I said, no reason. And she said, is there anything in your pocket? And I took out the piece and she said, where did you get that? I said, oh, my friend Aaron gave this to me because his sister had too many of them and he said that it was okay for me to take it and he told me that it had to be a secret so I couldn't tell anybody. And actually he gave it to me a couple of days ago and I've had it this whole time. It's not new, I didn't just get it just now. I definitely have had it for many days and I definitely got it from Aaron and he got it from his sister and she has so many of them. And my mom looked at me and I could tell that she was skeptical but she just said, okay. And I remember thinking, I got away with it. I can do this and I need to do this again immediately. So I went to my friend Aaron's house shortly thereafter, and I spent a lot of time there because his life was like this funhouse mirror version of my life. His life was full of now and later candy and craft mac and cheese and micro machines. He had so many micro machines, these tiny little cars that he would play with in a crawl space. 
And I love the fact that he had a crawl space. It was his own space. Nobody could get in there, literally no one, it was tiny. And I was so envious that he had this little space that he could keep all of his toys and be completely in control and escape the world. And I decided when I went over there one day that I wanted to take some of those micro machines for myself. Wearing the same MC Hammer pants, I very quickly stuffed a bunch of those micro machines into my pocket. And again, those two simultaneous feelings came back. I immediately saw myself as a terrible person. But this feeling of, I can't believe I did it. I can't believe I got away with it. And I would play with them at home only behind my bed so that nobody could see because I was too ashamed to bring them out because I didn't want to face the fact that I had actually taken them. And I figured if no one ever knew, then it would be okay. And one day my mom walked in while I was doing that and I immediately dropped them and stood up. And she said, what do you have behind the bed? And I said, nothing. And she walked around the bed and I didn't stop her. And she saw this flimsy bag of micro machines that I had. And she picked it up as if it was weed and said, where did you get this? And I said, oh, I just got it from somebody. And she said, did you get it from Aaron? I said, yeah, I got it from Aaron. You know, his sister had a bunch of extras. And so he said, you know, it was totally okay with her. I could take as many as I wanted. You know, you could check with them, but you know, you don't have to. It's totally fine. And again, I saw her look at me questionably and just say, okay. And just like before, I felt like, wow, I really can do this. I can pull this off. And look at all these micro machines I have now. I need to be able to pull this off because I get toys and I can have my own little crawl space in my room where I'm, it's just my things. And my things can be mine regardless of who they originated from. My parents had a very strict regimen on how many toys I could buy. I was a very compulsive kid, so whenever I wanted something, I wanted it immediately. If I saw a Lego piece that I wanted to go buy, I wanted it yesterday. And they were always of the mindset of, well, just because you want something immediately doesn't mean that you can have it right away. So suddenly, if I wanted something, I could have it. And I didn't have to ask permission, I could just have it for myself. And it felt so empowering. To me, it was worth dealing with this terrible anxiety to get the outcome that I wanted. So then I went to Van's house. Van was a friend of mine from school, and Van had so many more Legos than I have ever seen in my entire life. He had just received for Christmas, I think, this special medieval set. I think it cost $50, and it came with all assortment of medieval-themed Legos. There were guys with swords, there were dragons, and above all, there was this one white horse. And in the Lego community, of which I clearly was a, a big connoisseur, you could not get the white horse in anything other than this $50 medieval set. And $50 was like a fictional amount of money to me at that point. So I went over to his house and took the white horse and slid it into my MC Hammer pants when he wasn't looking. And that felt so easy. It was too easy at this point. So I kept on taking Legos. For about an hour, I slowly but surely filled my pockets until they were literally bulging with Legos. It just so happened that that was the day that Van also decided to show me his other Christmas gift, which was the track and field video game for Nintendo. But you played it on this pad that you would lay out. So you had to run back and forth on the pad. And I got on the pad completely naive to the fact that my pockets were full of Legos. And I just remember the crunch, 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 crunch of my feet as I was running on this pad. And Van is not stupid. He was like, why is your leg crunching as you're running? And I couldn't think of what to say, so I said, oh, I just put a bunch of your Legos in my pockets. But don't worry, I'm actually doing this for your benefit because I'm really good at track and field, and I'm thinking that if I weigh myself down, then you'll have a good chance of winning, and I'm gonna definitely put them back. And he looked at me just like my mom did, and he just said, okay. So I took them out of my pockets, and as we played the game, I kept on putting a couple more back in my pockets. And when I left, I had taken more Legos than I had even taken the first time. And I got home and I dumped them all onto my bed and the white horse was right there in the middle. The white horse that I wanted so badly. 
And I looked at all of those Legos and all of that dread, all of that anxiety that I didn't feel when I took them completely washed over me 10 times more than it had before. I didn't want to be that person who was taking things from people, but I had already done it. And so I put those Legos in a deep drawer where my other Legos were, but way in the back, and I didn't play with them. Because for whatever reason, when having to face it made me feel extremely uncomfortable. And three years later, I was in seventh grade, and uh, I wanted to rent a video game. And in my house, I was only allowed to rent a video game when I had a friend come over. And I kind of went eeny, meeny, miny, mo in the phone book, and I invited Van over. And we were sitting in the basement playing the game, and it felt like I had just played for like five or ten minutes, and Van said, when's my turn? I said, oh, your turn is coming up soon. And I played for what felt like five more minutes, and he said, I'm going to go check out what you have in your room. And then five minutes later, he came back, and he continued to watch me, and then he said, all right, I'm going to go home. And then I came upstairs after he left, and I looked at the clock, and an hour and a half had passed. I had completely lost myself in this video game. Then I had this sneaking suspicion that something had changed, and I went up to my room, and I opened the drawer of Legos that I hadn't opened in three years, and I reached way into the back, and I pulled out a handful of all those medieval Legos that I had taken from Van, and the white horse was not there. And in that moment, I felt absolutely nothing. That white horse to me was just some Lego. At the time, it was so special. But three years later, it meant absolutely nothing. And then years went by. This was seventh grade. I now am 30 years old. And Van Miller came up in my Facebook feed. And I decided, what the hell? I've always thought that maybe he had taken the white horse back, but I wasn't really sure. So I sent him a message on Facebook that said, Hey Van, this is sort of strange. I know we haven't talked in a long time, but I have a question for you. When I was a kid, I stole a bunch of your Legos and I want to talk to you about it. And within 15 seconds, I had a call from him and he was like, oh my God, you are so right. And I said, I'm so sorry. I was this completely out of control kid. I'm really sorry. I can't believe that I did that to you. And he told me his recollection of the events. He told me that he watched me take his Legos and was confused as to why a kid would take something from him. And then he remembers me leaving, and he said to his mom, I think Steve stole my Legos. And his mom called my mom and asked her, who presumably asked me, and at that point I was probably staring at my hall of Legos that I had placed onto the bed, and was so terrified that I was going to get in the worst trouble of my life that I just vehemently denied it. And she lied for me, and she told his mom that I didn't take them. And in that moment, Van felt he didn't know what to do. He had relied on adults to take care of justice in the world, to be the barometer as to what was good and what was evil. And at this point, adults were letting him down and he was confused. Three years later, when he came to my house, he had this passing whim to go into my room and open the drawer of Legos, and he saw that white horse. And he slipped it into his pocket and he left. And he told me that that white horse came to symbolize his ability to take justice into his own hands, to have the confidence in himself that he could right the wrongs in the world, that he didn't need anybody else, that he could be completely self-reliant. So I realized that in stealing Van's white horse, I had given him this gift of self-confidence and control that I had so badly wanted as a fourth grader. And so now, as a 30-year-old man, I can't help but think, what else can I steal? Shit.
This is the Honey Brothers behind me now. And for our last story today, we are going to hear from Cambry Cruz. Cambry's a friend, and it has been so exciting to see what's happened with her book, Burn Down the Ground. It's very popular, and it has just gotten raves from Elle Magazine and Booklist and Publishers Weekly, and the list just goes on. So excited for her. And in this story that she shares, she touches on many of the same themes covered in her book about her family. This is going to be Cambry at the New York Risk Live show. And uh, she uses a little bit of sign language in it. It's the upside down triangle that you can make with two hands that symbolizes the vagina. So just a little bit of nonverbal communication that you, the listener, might need a little help with. So anyway, without further ado, here she is, Miss Cambry Cruz, with a story we call The Accomplice. Shine, shine. Uh, okay, so anyway, uh, in prison, <laughs> gum sells for a dollar a stick. No shit, a dollar a stick. Now, on the list of items that my dad, uh, number 13A46B7, wanted me to smuggle into him in jail, gum seemed pretty harmless. He, uh, in his letter, he had actually asked for a $100 bill. That seemed pretty illegal. And a needle, which seemed dangerous. Gum, I can handle. Now, uh, my dad's prison is in Huntsville, Texas. And honestly, it's a lot less scary than I expected. Uh, When I got there, it looked kind of like a junior high school. It really did. The only difference was it had barbed wire and some armed guards, whatever. It was like junior high, and everyone was that stereotypical Texas-friendly, you know? They're like, oh, you, it sure is a nice day for a visit, isn't it? Oh, you have that nice talk with your daddy now. And I'm like, oh, great, this is wonderful, thank you. <laughs> and uh, the, in particular, this one guard, hot-bellied guard with a white handlebar mustache, 10-gallon hat, cowboy boots. It was like central casting for Thelma and Louise. He was like, yes, I got the role, I got it. Um, But he was really super nice and he inspected me in my rental car and he took a look at my driver's license and he goes, New York City, get a rope. (laughs) Okay. Some of you younger folks might not appreciate this, but luckily I am familiar with the ad campaign for Pace Picante from the 70s and 80s. Basically, uh, all these cowboys would sit around a campfire and some motherfucker had the nerve to bring some salsa from New York City and so they were going to hang him. They were just going to kill him. Because that's what happens when you bring New York City fucking salsa to a campfire. You just hang the motherfucker. So he makes this joke at me, and I guess I'm, I'm so nervous. I'm like, <laughs> But this is Huntsville, Texas, which is kind of famous for executing a record number of people on a yearly basis. So I mean, I, he doesn't have good decision-making skills. Uh, or good judgment, because I'm thinking, like, what the fuck would he do if somebody just busted through the gate? He is wearing cowboy boots. 
But I guess he figures, well, no, that somebody would never be a girl in high heels from New York City, and she most definitely would not be smuggling a jumbo pack of Wrigley's Juicy Fruit in the waistband of her slacks from Banana Republic. <laughs> no. Not her, not me. So he like goes over me with his little metal detecting wand and it goes off. It shrieks right where I got the gum hidden. And I'm like, holy. And he goes, oh, don't you worry, sugar. That's just your belt buckle. I'm not wearing a belt. Juicy fruit is wrapped in foil. <laughs> not something I thought about. But he just sends me on my merry way and I go inside and I wait for my dad to come into view. And when he does... I'm shocked. He is hunched over. He can barely walk. And he looks broken. And I'm, my breath is just taken away. I, I, I hadn't seen him in a couple of years before he went to prison, but seeing him now, I, 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 my heart broke. And I wave. I'm like, oh, hi, hi, Dad. My dad is in so much pain, he doesn't even wave back. He's like... Like this and I think oh I let my dad I let my dad rot in, in prison alone and that's when he drops the charades he goes ha, 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 ha. see what happens if you don't visit me more I'm an old man <laughs> and he stands motherfucking upright and starts walking with his trademark strut Oh, yes, uh, my dad, who is in jail, is deaf and a prankster. And I'm like, you jerk! You got, he, yeah, he got me. He got me with that one. <sighs> Not cool. But it was a relief to see him vibrant and standing upright. And he was missing a lot of teeth, but otherwise looking like Elvis of his youth. And we go and uh, we sit down and we have our visit and time goes on and, and I decide now the coast is clear. You know, I've gotten relaxed. I'm having fun. I'm visiting. I'll tell him, hey, I have gum. And he goes, I'm like, Jesus, Jesus, calm down. Oh, my God. And he's like, come on, come on, come on. And I look around, just chill out, just chill out. And I slowly pull the gum out, and he rips it out of my hand, rips it open, tears it open, starts chomping on a piece of gum with his remaining front teeth, because all those other teeth I said it are missing. So he kind of looks like a cow chewing cud. And he's like... And it takes like three or four of those num, 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 yeah, for the taste to overwhelm him. He hasn't had gum in about three or four years, I don't know. And he closes his eyes and he leans back like he's praising Jesus or something. He's like, whoo, whoo, long time. And he's like, hmm, tastes different. He looks at the pack, juicy fruit. It's the same, but it tastes different. Huh. I'm like, yeah, I don't fucking know. It's juicy fruit. And that's when he just starts shoving stick after stick after stick of gum in these secret pockets that he's cut in his Converse sneakers. He's sliced between uh, his sole and the cushion of his shoe, and he's shoving stick after stick after stick. And I'm like, oh, my God, what are you doing? What, 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 what are you doing? He goes, I can sell these for a dollar. I'm like, oh, that's why he had asked for jumbo pack. I had thought that was odd when he had requested the jumbo pack and he specifically said it three or four times. Jumbo pack, jumbo pack. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, we got a four hour visit. He wants a fresh piece of gum every three minutes. I don't know. You know how like bubble, bubblicious they would lose the flavor very quickly or something? I forgot how great Juicy Fruit is. It holds the flavor. Anyway, so I'm like just, he's being very brazen about it, shoving stick after stick after stick. And then he takes the other shoe and does it stick after stick after stick. And it dawns on me, oh, he has used me as a mule and he doesn't give a shit who knows this. And I'm just trying to get his attention focused back on me. There are guards everywhere. There's a prisoner sitting to my left who was this really beefy Hispanic guy. And he was missing part of his skull and missing his eyeball 
and it was like all put together, kind of like you know a sculptor is doing a, a bust, and they haven't gotten to the other part yet, and so it's just like thumbprints still in there. That was his eye. And he's drooling out of one mouth, and his other eye is dripping. He's just a mess. And I'm like, okay, I'll talk about him. Try just focus on something else. And I said, my God, what's wrong with this man? What happened to him? My dad says, oh, him? He killed his uh, wife and his kids and then tried to kill himself, but it didn't work. Good man. <laughs> Quiet. <laughs> Quiet, says the deaf man. <laughs> and good, you know, is relative. See, my dad is in prison for 20 years for trying to kill his girlfriend. He stabbed her five times and slit her throat from ear to ear, nearly decapitating her. So, quiet, sure, maybe. Good, Judge not lest ye be judged is one of the main principles on the inside. Here I am looking at my dad chewing this gum like he's a little kid, seeing fireworks for the first time, and, and I'm sad at seeing him broken. He's capable of being all these things and also a murderer. And I just have this moment of clarity of just watching him and taking this in, and it's really quiet suddenly and then somebody screams, you! I'm like, oh shit, and I jerk, and my dad doesn't hear, of course, he's deaf, so he doesn't know what happened. He's like, what's wrong? I said, I don't know, somebody screamed. And everybody else had jumped too, and that's when I hear it again, you! And I look over, I see this man in a suit, tie, cowboy hat, cowboy boots. I recognize his face from a picture on the wall, he's the warden. He's pissed, and he's looking at us. He's like, you, come here now! And my dad, cool as a cucumber, struts over, best Elvis strut, never mind, he looks like Nick Nolte from that crazy DUI photo, you know, like <laughs> prongs of hair, and just sallow, just, and, and he's got prison whites on instead of a jazzy Hawaiian shirt. But he's cool, he doesn't care. He comes over, the, the warden doesn't know sign language, so he mouths over-exaggerated mouth movements and says, what's in your mouth? And my dad shows him this wad of chewed gum on his tongue and he says, where did you get that? My dad, without hesitation, points right to me. You know, he couldn't say, oh, I found it. No, 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 he's like, oh, that bitch right there, that girl right there, she did it to her, her, my daughter. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He, wait, okay, I have never been in trouble in my life. I am 30 something years old. When I, uh, this is happening, I'm like, I, I may, uh, I got a speeding ticket. One time I got hauled uh, uh, to the sheriff's station for prank calling my friend, Maria, like a thousand times over uh, Christmas weekend, but the bitch started it. And also I got a new phone for Christmas, so I had to call somebody. Um, but that was, I never got charged with any. I had never done anything in my whole life. My dad has inadvertently convinced me to smuggle this, or he intentionally convinced me to smuggle this gum in, and now he's ratting me out quicker than a wink. And so the warden, he makes him spit out the gum, just like junior high, I'm telling you, just like school. And my dad casually struts back over, again, cool as a cucumber, and sits down. And I am shaking like this. Like, I couldn't even control it. It was incredible. And so I grab my Dr. Pepper, and I try to get some moisture in my mouth, and it just dribbles all down the front of my shirt, because I'm just like, Ugh. And my dad's like, what's wrong? You shaking? You scared? Pussy. <laughs> Pussy. Yeah, like sign language makers couldn't come up with something a little daintier than a giant horse vagina, but no. Pussy. You know a man didn't come up with that either, because they want it tight and I don't know. But it's like you could think it could be like a little nectar you suck the, the nectar out of. Uh, no, no, no. Pussy. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am scared. And yes, I am a pussy, but I am also free. 
and I'm free to leave. So I get the hell out of there fast. He's got a strip search on the horizon. I don't know. I know they're going to search him fast or better than they usually do. So I'm like, you know what? See you later. And I got out. I kind of like sped walked across the parking lot because you don't want to run in a prison. So I was just like, and I got to the car. My husband was waiting for me, and he's like, hey, how'd your visit go? And I'm like, get out of here. It's like, what's the matter? I'm like, just start the car. We gotta get out of here. He's like, uh, okay. We get home, uh, and now because my dad's deaf, I have no idea what happened. He's not able to just pick up the phone and call me and tell me what happened. So I just have to wait and wait and wait. And finally, three weeks later, I get a letter from my dad who says, surprise, I still have the gum. I kept some for myself. I sold others, and then I paid off some debt, because he has debt in prison. He <laughs> says, all right, next time, I want you to sneak in a Dairy Queen cheeseburger. Oh. Okay, can you use a bun to chisel your way out? I don't think so, but still, like, where am I gonna hide that? <laughs> Thank you. back with a song called Proceed to Memory. I love those guys. Hey, if you don't already know, on October 13th, Risk is going to be in Los Angeles again. We are at the Podfest. We're going to do a show with Greg Fitzsimmons, Aubrey O'Day, Andy Dick, Sarah Benincasa, and myself. So if you're in LA on October 13th, come out to see us. Get your tickets at LAPodfest.com. And then don't forget that October 15th is Max Fun Day when you got to get over to MaximumFun.org to uh, help us out. I want to give a little shout out to a couple folks who have been helping us out in a big way lately. Patrick Coyne has been helping us uh, get the word out on Twitter and Facebook, trying to establish more of a dialogue with you guys, the fans. Remember, you can always find us on both Twitter and Facebook, at Risk Show. And Ben Halberstam has been doing a phenomenal job helping us keep our website updated, helping us hook up our website to that of our new friends and family at MaximumFun.org. And finally, if you are in Portland, my friend Eric out there has a phenomenal storytelling show you can find it at mysteryboxshow.com. It's a particularly fun show. All the stories are about sex and sexuality. So pitch. Pitch Eric your stories. If you're a Portland person, get up on that stage, share your stories, and hey, he uh, might even be able to record it and send the recording for us to feature here on Risk. And that brings us to the end of the first episode of our fourth season. Come visit us at risk 
Show.com. Learn about our school at thestorystudio.org. That leaves just one more thing to be said. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. It's like if you watch a little thing of water go slowly down a little channel and then it hits a windmill and the windmill just start not a windmill a uh it's like watching what it's not it's not a windmill you know what i'm talking about no it's like a water wheel it's like a water wheel that spins i don't know what a why windmill <laughs> get the champagne ready the nba finals are here welcome to the nba finals let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing My goodness. here's the high stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss he ties the game at the buzzer and to crowning our next champion here's a toast to the nba finals the 2024 nba finals presented by youtube tv continue on abc